All right, so the following text is as clear as it's going to get for us. Paul actually spells it out perfectly, crystal clear. It's like he gives you a clear look down to the depths of what Jesus has done on the cross. Here's what he says. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So the question is, why did Jesus die? And the answer, according to Paul, the answer, according to the Bible, from beginning to end, is that he died to pay a death debt for our sin. So he's dying to deliver us from sin's guilt and sin's condemnation, sin's curse, all these words that we hear in the Bible. Uh, He's actually dying to take the death sentence for our sin. And this has a cosmic consequence, which leads us to the second reason why he died. So he pays a debt, he pays a sin debt, he pays a death debt, and this unleashes cosmic consequences. In doing so, he actually starts collapsing the palaces and the prisons of the empire of death. Uh, he, Jesus says it this way, he goes in, he goes into the realm of the dead, and he binds the strong man and takes back what the strong man had stolen. So the strong man had stolen property, and by Jesus' death, paying this death debt, he disarms him, binds him, and takes the stolen property back. So in this text, it says he disarms the rulers, the authorities, puts them to open shame. It's like when Jesus died and pays the death debt, it unleashes cosmic consequences by which all these prisons and all the palaces in the empire of death collapse. Now, if you've been in church for a while, if you've grown up in the church for a while, even if you've been in the church just for a couple of Sundays, generally, you have heard this. And chances are you've thought, if you've especially been in the church, you know, I've heard this all before, blah, 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 right? Sin's death has been paid, the canceling of guilt, my my sin has been nailed to the cross. The power of sin has been broken, and we do things like sin's pardon, it's punishment, and sin's power broken, right? We talk about this, we have classes on this, and many of us even like right now, we hear this and we go, yep, that's the ABCs of the Christian life right there. And we think, I'm a Christian, I already know this. Tell me something, tell me something, Jeff. Tell me something, Pastor. Tell me something more that actually means something for me right now in the Christian life. Now, it might surprise you in my line of work, but I have never heard this before. I've never heard anybody tell me something more. Please move on from the death of Jesus. Tell me something. Tell me how this has present power for my life now. Uh, When this does happen, this happens all the time, by the way, and when it does happen, sometimes I might be feeling pretty salty, and I might respond like, oh, really? You've heard this before. You know this before. You you have it all down. Then, Then why are you still such a jerk? Then why is your marriage still a wreck? Why do you struggle so much with anxiety? and deep insecurity, because you've heard this all before. 
You already believe this. And then if I'm in a more reflective tone or more reflective manner, it's like, yeah, I, I know this too, and I'm still a jerk. So is there one drop of present power in your debt being paid? In the Christian life, is there just one drop of present power that that matters right now in your relationships, in your Christian life, in the way you handle work, in the way you handle the culture, in the way you handle your struggles and your suffering, the way you handle success, the way you handle money, the way you handle failure? Is there one drop of present power that my debt is paid and whom the sun sets free is free indeed? Is there? Well, we're going to start. I'm going to start this way. Uh, What's the number one reason for all a Christian's anxiety in this life? It's interesting. David says the same thing. Paul says the same thing. John says the same thing. They lay out the number one cause for a Christian's deep insecurity, a Christian's deep anxiety, a Christian's deep stress in this life. And it's the same answer everywhere. In fact, here it is. Paul says it this way in Romans 7, which is a classic on the Christian life. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for what I do not do, I do not do what I want, but the very thing I most hate, I end up doing. Wretched man that I am. In other words, what David and Paul and John are saying, that the most stressful part, the most anxious part, the most disappointing part, the most struggling part, the most insecure part of you being a Christian is that you're still a sinner. And what does this mean? What this means is this, is that you still functionally feel the debt of your sin. Now, I'm not talking objectively. Objectively, Jesus has paid your debt. But if you are still, as a Christian, a sinner, you functionally in this life, you experientially in this life, You feel deep in your bones this life, the debt of sin. You feel it in your relationships. You feel it in every aspect of your life. This is why we have such deep insecurity. This is why this creates such deep anxiety, functionally, experientially in your bones. Sometimes it's not even conscious. It's so deep in us, it's subconscious. And it's just coming out all the time, and it's why we instinctively react in certain ways. You know, we've talked before about how you can hit a cup and water can come out of the cup, right? And we ask, well, why is there water on the ground? Because there's water in the cup. And usually we say, because you hit the fist. Well, the fist hitting the cup is all the aspects of life, but the water coming out is that is rooted in that deep insecurity that functionally, experientially, you still feel the debt of sin. I mean, the reason why this is so significant is that certain theological systems have actually taken a look at this dynamic of a Christian still being a sinner and create a whole system of trying to convince you that you're not. 
And then he even creates two types of Christians, God's A team and God's B team. So please get on the A team. Systems. Systems and beliefs and doctrines that are trying to handle how can a Christian still be a sinner? Because functionally, experientially, if that's true, you feel the debt. I can tell you, for the first time, I, this is our first time in, I don't know how many, I've been doing TurboTax for ever. I should have like stock in the, country, in the company. But I get the TurboTax, so I did the taxes about last week, because it's getting close, right, Monday. And this is the first time ever, we usually have between 2,000 and 5,000 refund. And I'm just hitting the numbers, you know, and I can't wait to see the green, and I just keep... Next one, it goes up higher. Next one, it goes up higher. This is the first time that it went in debt in the opposite direction. And Nancy will tell you, that feeling of debt put a cloud on me. It was absolutely pervasive. Everyone ran for the hills in our house. It was like, hey, honey, do you want to go out and drive your truck around for a little bit? Do you need to get some air? Do you want to go for a walk? Hey, you could go for a walk. We don't want to go with you, but it'd be great if you went for a walk. And it went that way for the next day and the next day and the next day. And then finally, I set up a flare. I sent out to the elders. I said, hey, you know, this has never happened to me before. You know, someone that's a little more savvy with doing TurboTax or something, can you just kind of look at my work and see if, if I've missed something, and so Dave Hunt, who's sick tonight, he stepped forward, and last Wednesday, he meets with me, and we're going through it, and he's, he's looking at five years, and he's going, oh, man, yeah, I don't know what's happened. Dude, what, what's happened? And boom, boom, you know, we're going over it, and then he goes, I wonder what this is. Why, why don't you have this box filled? And it went to dependence. And we don't have any dependents in our house. <laughs> and we went, ding. And just like that, I went from the bottom of the barrel <laughs> to Mount Everest. <laughs> I mean, my mood completely changed. Everything changed. My marriage changed. My, relation, my parenting changed. Everything changed because a debt was paid. Here it is, right here. My debt is paid. It is paid in full. It doesn't just reach you consciously. It goes down to the subterranean levels of your very being and sets you free. Just like that, grace, just like that, you experience, you feel divine love. Just like that, you're okay. Just like that, you're secure. Just like that, you're safe. Just like that, you have energy. Just like that, you're outside of yourself. Just like that, you're now free. Now, if the present power of Jesus' death is not experienced at this point, what happens? I mean, this is it, right? You're just, you're a Christian. You're just, you're, 
You're, as Luther would say, simultaneously a sinner and a saint. But most theological systems are trying to get rid of the sinner part and just call you a saint. But you know you're still a sinner because the Bible tells you you are. And because of that, you experience, not objectively because Jesus paid your debt, but you can't help but experientially and in your bones feel the debt. Now let's say the power of Jesus' death to pay your debt and pay it full doesn't hit you in the present tense, in these moments of experiencing who you are as a sinner in your relationships, in your life, and how you handle things. What happens? I mean, think it out. What would happen? You know what happens? Now you're on your own to deal with the feelings and the experiences of a debt of sin. And so what do we do when we're stuck now on our own? We try to pay the debt. Experientially, functionally, in our Christian life, we start living the Christian life and doing the Christian life to functionally pay the debt. It's pretty popular today to deal with the debt of sin by uh, trying to make others pay their debt, is it not? I mean, is that not what's going on in the church and going on in our culture today? When you're stuck to pay the debt, whether it's objectively because you're not a Christian or subjectively because you are and you still experience yourself, when that happens, you experientially, one of the most popular ways to try to pay your debt is to make someone else pay their debt for their sin. And that happens in our culture. Another way is that we try to feel our debt away. In other words, you, you, we, we rely so heavily on experiences in the Christian life as if we can feel better about our relationship with God, as if that's going to override the debt, the feelings of debt that we feel. One of the ways it's happening in the culture today is like this, like we try to feel it by we have these desires, right? And we say, this is who I am. And who I am is my desires, and so it can't be it can't be harmful, it can't be unhealthy, it can't be unjust, it can't be wrong, because this is just who I am. We try to, our feelings, try to deal with our debt. Another way is we say, hey, listen, whatever makes me feel guilty, that's what's bad. That's what's unjust. That's what's wrong, that's what's unhealthy. The other way we try to be debt-free is we try to literally live debt-free. Some of you are like, you know, budget Nazis, literally, right? You've got to be debt-free. Of course, that's a great thing to be is debt-free. Another way is like professionally and vocationally, we are trying to be so debt-free that we cannot have any failure in our life. It's success, and when there's failure, it's absolutely traumatic. You can be trying to live debt-free relationally, which means you're always right in your relationships, and the other person's always wrong. That's debt-free living. You have to because you're now dealing with your debt on your own. And then right here, right here, the drop of the present power of the gospel hits you. My debt is paid. It's paid in full. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And now you're actually free 
to not accuse people and condemn people. You're free to forgive people. You're free to disagree and still be friends. You're free to interact with the culture differently. You're free to interact in your relationships. You don't have to be right. You actually now have the freedom to say, you know what? I'm absolutely wrong. You're now absolutely free in front of your critics when they say things about you to go, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. And it's even worse. Luther used to do this. Someone would come up to me and say, you know, you're the worst person on the planet. And he'd go, you're right. It's actually, you're, you're underestimating how bad I am. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. My debt is paid. It's paid in full. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So experientially, there is no debt. There's no accusation. There's no condemnation. So you don't have to have it in your relationships. You don't have to have it in the church culture. You don't have to have it in your work culture. It's gone. I'd say there's more than one or two drops of the present power of Jesus' death on the cross for us in that, right? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to light this candle.